We always need to be reminded of who he is and what he's done. The person and the work of Christ. Well, Christmas is special in some way to all of us. It, uh, for me, the older I get, uh, the more I reminisce when it comes to Christmas time and think about the way that you know, it used to be as my daddy's favorite holiday. Dad wasn't much on celebrating anything. He, in fact, he didn't even attend church, but for some reason Christmas was really special to him. And so I always remember those days of going out and and along with the hunting trip, we'd always go out and uh, get the tree every year. And then uh, decorating the tree, didn't have a lot of the stuff, you know, like we have Nowadays, mom would pop up a bunch of popcorn and thread with a needle on, you know, and thread and make a strings of popcorn. And, uh, and it's just always a special time. And it might be different today, uh, but especially for those that are Christians, it's special. It's special. And it ought to be. I preached a message a few years ago about trying to answer all of these questions of those who... I think that it's wrong, and a lot of people got really some weird ideas about uh, whether we ought to celebrate Christmas or not, and that goes back for centuries, by the way. Uh, some of the old-timers that, you know, we read their writings and think about them being so great, but boy, even here in America, you go back to early America, and boy, there were so many that were uh, radically against the celebration of Christmas. I don't know why you couldn't celebrate his birth, whether or not you attach it to any particular denomination. I've never done that. It has to do with what Jesus did, not, you know, what some man has done. Well, open your Bibles this morning to what probably will seem like a strange verse for uh, the Christmas story. 1 John chapter number 4. I'm going to read verse 9 and also verse 10, which will be the text for the message this morning. 1 John chapter number 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And our text this morning is verse 10, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. You know, the Christmas story has, been, has captured the, the attention uh, of the world, like I, I think like nothing else has ever done. And the story's been told in a lot of different ways. It's been told over and over again uh, through sermons. Uh, every every year, all across the nation and around the world, there's someone telling the story of Christmas by way of preaching. Uh, we tell the story by way of songs. We tell the story by way of poems that have been written about it. Uh, there are plays that uh, every year there will be plays and programs and things of that nature, books written about it, movies about uh, the birth of Christ, and even one particular movie, I think as the title of it is The Christmas Story, 
But I doubt that it's ever been told any better than what we see in this verse. Here is a very short but serious story of what Christmas is all about. And I want you to notice that there's no mention here of the virgin birth. No mention of Bethlehem. There's no mention of the shepherds or the angels or the wise men. And yet, in this one verse, we find the very essence of Christmas captured here in this short verse. Here we see the nature of God. And here we see the need of man. God is love and God loves us. God proved His love. Notice it says here that He sent His Son. That's the Christmas story right there. That God sent His Son. That pretty much tells it all. And here we see that this is what sets Christianity apart from all of the religions of the world. The other day I was listening to uh, as I often do, listening to some uh, good old Southern Gospel quartet singing and uh, the rejoicing that goes along with it. And I, I got to thinking, you know, of all of the other religions, I don't know a one of them where there is a display of joy like there is in Christianity. You, you don't see that among the Muslims or anyone else. Uh, uh, it's all different. Their services, their worship means is a very sober thing that uh, there's no room for rejoicing and praising their God. But when it comes to Christianity, it's entirely different because we have a reason to rejoice. And that is that God sent His Son. I want you to notice the declaration of God's love. It says here in these three simple words, says He, you can figure out who that is, right? He, that's God, loved us. There have been a lot of great declarations down through history, but there's absolutely nothing that compares to this. The declaration made by God that He loves us. And, and mark it down, that's true. As we journey through life, you know, we hear a lot of things that sound good, but they're not true. You know, there are certain used car lots you can go and listen to the, uh, to the spiel about why you ought to buy a certain automobile. And of course, you know, those car dealers there, they're known for being able to, uh, to sell uh, popcorn out in a desert somewhere and convince you that this old broken down automobile is the best thing since sliced bread get you to buy something you don't need something you don't want we hear people talk about making investments in certain things and you've just got to get in on the ground floor of this i mean don't wait until it's too late you need to invest all you've got in this because it's going to pay off and it'll make you rich there are those who've lost everything as a result because the declaration they heard, the promises that were made were not true. But whenever God says something, we can bank on it that it is true. This, is, this Bible I hold in my hand is without error. And you can have complete confidence in God's Word because God can't lie. And whenever the Bible declares that God loves you, He loves you. Even though, listen, 
even though it might not feel like it. You know, there are times that we go through dark valleys. There are times that we're in difficult situations. There are times when our world is turned upside down and we don't know what to make of it. We cry out, why, why? I mean, we wonder, why would God let, why would a God of love let someone he loves go through something that is so painful, something that is so uh, difficult? We wonder why. So there might be times that even, maybe like Job, maybe like David, like others in the Bible, those great men of God who wondered if God had just forgotten all about them. Now you mark it down, you might really feel great right now, but the chances are good that some point in time in your life, even though in your head you know God hasn't forgotten you, yet in your heart it's going to feel like that God has forsaken you and He hasn't. Regardless of how bad things are, it's true God loves you. That's not only true, folks, that's tremendous. You see... There are a lot of things that are true, but they're not tremendous. It's true that it's going to get cold here in the next few days. And I don't know about you, but I don't like cold weather, and I'm not impressed by you giving me that wonderful truth that it's supposed to get down to 13 by Friday. You know, that doesn't impress me at all, and that might be true. Nothing tremendous about that. I've often said if somebody wants to torture me, all they got to do is just get me good and cold. I just can't. That's the one thing I can't hardly stand. So there's a lot of things that are true, but not tremendous. But this is both. I mean, what greater message could we possibly hear? What greater thought could ever occupy our mind? What could be more thrilling? To be loved is great. But to be loved by God, nothing's greater than that. I feel so sorry for those that are, those children especially that uh, are in situations to where nobody really loves them. You know, the Bible says in these last days, people will be without natural affection. And that, that's really hard to imagine how a mother and a father could have no love for their children and yet that's exactly the way it is and there are children that every day of their life in that home they live there they eat there they sleep there but there's no love how horrible it is to think about not being loved and how wonderful it is to know that somebody loves you but when that somebody is God, well, the only way I know to say it, that's just amazing grace. Just think about this phrase here for a moment. He loved us and sent His Son. He, He who is holy, He who is just, loved us. Although we are sinful, we are vile, we are undeserving of anything. That's why I say it's tremendous that God would love us at all. And let me be clear, that word us includes everyone, every person on earth. God loves people regardless of who they are, what they've done, 
He loves them. You, listen, you might live and die without a lot of things, but you'll never be unloved. Amen. Think about it for a minute. Just stop and think that God, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God who, who is perfect in all of His ways, the God who has all power, that great God has focused His attention on you and displayed His affection for you by the giving of His Son. Let me tell you, that's tremendous. It's true. And it's timeless. You know, God not only loved us, that is in the past tense, He continues to love us. His love isn't like the wind that's always changing. His love is constant. It's everlasting. That doesn't mean that God's always pleased with us, by the way. Because there are some times that we do things or we fail to do things that are contrary to His will. And God's not pleased with that at all. That's why we're told over in Hebrews, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. And scourgeth every son that he receives. No Christian ever sins successfully. It might be, you know, you look at a situation and you think, boy, man, it looks like they're going to get by with that. Who are you kidding? We don't get by with our sins. Never. There's a payday someday, and it's certain. But make no mistake about it. Regardless of who we are, what we've done, or anything else, even when God allows us to be subjected to great hardships in life for reasons that known only to Him, still God loves us. There's never a moment when you are unloved. And you need to remember that because the assurance of that love can get you through the toughest times in your life. Being assured of the fact that God Himself loves you, that motivates us to serve God. I mean, whenever you realize how much God loves you, it's only natural that you're motivated to do what pleases Him. Not only that, it encourages you and enables you to endure the trials that you're going through because He loves you and He promised, I'll never put more on you than what you're able to bear that is, if you'll trust me, it'll keep you faithful whenever you feel like quitting. You think, well, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Why, why should I keep going? I mean, what I'm doing is not really being effective. What I'm doing is not really helping anybody. Well, in the first place, you're not doing it just for the sake of trying to help somebody. We do what we do because we want to glorify God by being obedient to His Word. And when we live in the consciousness of the fact that God loves us, whether in our eyes, whether we succeed or whether we fail, God loves us. That keeps us from quitting. It'll keep us from getting bitter about the things of life. And it'll give you hope. Whenever you've sinned yourself. How many of you read the morning manna yesterday and today? Both of them? Wow. (laughs) 
a half a dozen or so. Now, I mentioned that for a reason. Uh, because yesterday, the morning manna had to do with, well, what Habakkuk said and over there in chapter 3, and he talks about, well, you know, whenever there's nothing left, there's no, no herd in the stalls, there's no, no, nothing in the fields to eat on whenever everything is gone. Nevertheless, he said, I will rejoice. I'll rejoice. I will joy in my God. Oh, listen, those verses have helped me so much through the years. And the title of the message had to do with conquering circumstances. That's what Habakkuk was doing because, boy, I'm telling you, it it was bad. His people were about to go down and defeat the city, destroyed the temple, destroyed. They were about to lose everything, and he knew that. And he paints the picture as dark as possible. When all is gone, I don't have anything left. There's nothing to eat. It's all gone. And it's what we do at times like that that reveals what we really are on the inside. And yet he said, I'm going to praise God. I was trying to emphasize the fact that um, as Christians, we need to conquer our circumstances, and we, we can and we should. Well, I wrote an apology this morning because the, before that day was over, that's yesterday, I got uh, in a foul mood, and uh, I didn't throw rocks at anybody, I didn't cuss anybody out, but all, all of a sudden, I, I, all I could think about was all of the bad things. I was thinking about Bev. She had to go extra dialysis, and here she is up there and going through that, and there's this, and there's that. And I tried to take a nap, and somebody woke me up. <laughs> Doesn't take much to get us in a bad mood, does it? And boy, it's as though the Holy Spirit just drove a nail through my heart, reminding me what what. What did you write about yesterday? Why is it that you're not practicing what you preach? And folks, listen, a lot of times we fail because one day, you know, one day we assure everybody that we've got our act together. We love God. We obey God. We just do whatever God wants us to do. And boy, the next day, all we can think about is all of the bad stuff in our life. And that's when we need to focus on the fact that God loves us with this tremendous, timeless love that He's never going to stop loving us. And we have that hope that even when we've sinned, that God will receive our repentance when we come to Him admitting our failure. God's not going to you know, just put us on probation. So I'll give you six months, see if you straighten up and fly right. Oh, I love the story of the prodigal son. He wanted to take wings and fly and go out on his own. That's not just the story of a, of, of a certain young man. That's the story of humanity, by the way, that parable is. Didn't want to be under daddy's authority anymore, and he takes off and goes his own way, loses everything he's got, comes down to the pig pen, and finally he comes to himself. He regains some of his sanity. 
And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to Daddy. I'll go back to my father's house. He had it all planned out. I'm going to go back and tell Daddy. I want to tell him that I've sinned. He's got it all planned out what he's going to say. Just take me back as one of the servants in, in the field. I don't have to sit with the family around the table. That, that's okay. I'll work out in the field. I'll sleep out, in the, I'll sleep out there with the servants. Oh, he was willing to do all of those things, but he didn't listen. He didn't have to because daddy came running down the road and threw his arms around him and kissed his cheek, brought him home, put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back. Oh, listen, that's a picture of God and his willingness to forgive us and the demonstration of his love for us. This wonderful truth, this declaration that God loves us and that's not just thrilling that's transforming let me show you why look at verse 11 beloved if God so loved us we ought also to love one another now look over across the page in chapter number five and notice verse four for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? His love for us transforms us. You know, listen, we're not saved because we change. We change because we're saved. And God begins to do a work in our heart that changes us, our attitude. And I'll talk more about it in just a minute. But I'm so glad that when we can't change our own lives, even when we know that we're on the wrong road doing the wrong thing and we don't even want that life anymore, we want to change and we try to change. I've I've been there, done that. Look at myself in the mirror after a hangover and ask myself, what are you doing you have a wife that loves you. You have kids. What are you, what are you doing with your life? And I can remember promising Bev, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to quit drinking. I, I'm not going to stay out all night anymore. I, you, yeah, it didn't mean anything. Oh, I was sincere. I just didn't have any strength, any power of my own to change the way I live. But let me tell you, the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior all of a sudden things began to change. Oh, for this great declaration that God loves us. But notice the demonstration of His love. Here it is in these three words. He loved us in what He sent His Son. You see, God isn't all talk and no show. He not only declared His love for us, He demonstrated His love. Not only is it proclaimed, but it's proven here. And we ought to never doubt God's love because He gives us all of the evidence that we could possibly need. First John in chapter number 3, and I want you to notice verse 16. Everybody's, you know, memorizes John chapter 3, verse 16, but listen to this. Hereby perceive, that is, we get the picture, we understand, we see it as it is. 
Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Oh, what a great demonstration of love here. You know, God has expressed His love in many different ways. The Bible talks about Him being good to the just and the unjust and the thankful and the unthankful. But the greatest expression of God's love was at Calvary. There's nothing more amazing than that. Why would God allow His own dear Son to suffer so much? Well, that's why I read verse 9 of chapter 4. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that, here it is, that we might live through Him because we couldn't live without Him. This word manifested means to come out in the open, to be made public. You see, God's love isn't hidden. It's revealed by the giving of His Son for the purpose that we might be able to live through Him. You see, by nature, we're all spiritually dead. That means that we are separated from God. And Christ is the only one that can give us life. You know, you might be here today and you might be, you might be the best person in your neighborhood. It might be that you most, might be the most intelligent person in your, in your school. It might be that you're the most generous person that anybody knows. But without Jesus, none of those things is good enough Amen. to give you spiritual life. Amen. We're spiritually dead. But when, when we receive Christ, we receive life. Jesus, listen, Jesus said it Himself. He said, I am come. I thank God He did. And I want to talk about that, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. I am come. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. To listen to some preachers, you would think that Jesus died for our, our happiness and our prosperity and on and on and on. No, no, no. He died that we might live. That's the purpose of it right there. That we could have life and we could have that life more abundantly. And then notice in our text again the deliverance of His love and what it brings. To be the perpetuation for our sins. Now notice this tells us why spiritual life is possible. That word perpetuation, big old word, you know, hard to pronounce, at least for some of us not heads. And, uh, and we wonder why in the world doesn't God use language that we can understand well it's very simple and he's used the phrase over and over and over mercy seat if you've read your old testament the mercy seat and it has to do with the place now listen the place where god where god can find the satisfaction to receive us you think about those old testament priests whenever they laid upon the altar there, that, that sacrifice. They cut its throat and they took its blood and they went in the Holy of Holies. There in the Holy of Holies, 
and blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And it was that blood that was typical, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed. You see, we can try all of our good works and do all of the things that impress people trying to get to heaven and none of us will get, get us there. But oh, listen, to think about the fact that one drop of His blood there at the throne before the Father, that blood is all that was necessary for God to say, come on in, welcome home, my child. This is, this is the deliverance that is the result of the fact that God loves us. Our greatest need is spiritual life because we're spiritually dead. And the greatest gift is what? Spiritual life. And Jesus came to provide that. Only the living God could produce life. I mean, He's the Creator. He, he's the one that made life, made everything. You could go out to the cemetery and you could get the most eloquent preacher that you've ever heard to go out there. You could assemble a choir, maybe the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, or someone like that with all of that talent. They could sing all of those wonderful songs and then the preacher could get up and he could begin to expound and you can preach all you want, but you can't raise the dead. And regardless of how hard Brother Kenneth or I try and the, the pictures that we try to paint and the word that we preach, we understand that none of that in and of itself can give life except for the fact the power of salvation is where? The gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But what makes it so powerful? It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. In Him is life. And that life is given to all of those that receives Him. Now one more thing I want you to think about, and that's the difference that His love makes in our life. It not only saves us, it sanctifies us. That, that is to say that it cleanses us, it changes us. You know, He makes us, as Paul said, more than conquerors. He makes us new creatures, enabling us to do things that, well, things that we could have never, ever done in and of ourselves. And the Bible sums all of this up there in Matthew chapter 22. Master, well, what is the great, most important of all of the commandments? And the Lord says, all right, here they are. As you know, verse 19, he says, love the Lord thy God. That's number one. But then he says, the second is like unto the first, and that is you love your neighbor as yourself. You know, knowing about God is one thing, but loving God is another thing. And man's only hope to love God and his only help is Christ. We'd never love God without, without Christ. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. It's because of His love. We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. 
But notice the second one. We see that it not only makes a difference in the fact that it enables us to love God, but to love others. And boy, we all need help with that. There might be someone where you work or somewhere, somebody where you attend school or whatever. And someone that you, it's not that you just don't like them, you actually despise them. We all, listen, we all need help loving others. It's so easy for us to say, I love you. It's another thing to actually really truly love people. And I understand that we are all imperfect. None of us do it perfectly. But our only chance of really loving one another is what? Through accepting the love of the one who died for us. That doesn't just affect us eternally. Oh, we could talk a lot about that. The fact that He loved us, the fact that He gave His Son, the fact that that we're born again as a result of trusting Christ. The effect of eternity, we can talk about that new Jerusalem, the streets of gold and the walls of jasper, the gates of pearl. Oh, that's so wonderful. And we ought to think more about that. But it affects us here and now. You ever think about what a wonderful gift life is? I'm talking about just physical life. That you're able to be here this morning. That you're able to you're able to breathe. Your, your heart's still pumping. God's given each one of you a wonderful life. But without a relationship with Christ, you'll never be able to enjoy it as you could. You might be the most healthy person here. But without Christ, you'll never be able to fully enjoy the life God gave you until you receive Christ. And today might be the best possibility that you'll ever have. This could be the greatest Christmas that you've ever experienced by receiving Christ as your Savior. Someone said... If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent a Savior. Aren't you glad? Oh, listen... You, if, you, if you don't get anything for Christmas, if it seems like nobody loves you, nobody cares, I want you to leave here today knowing of a certainty that God cares, God loves you. I love the story I received from Pastor Bob Griffith, and he was telling about the Christmas play. His kid, whose name happened to be Nicholas, by the way, and he was in the kindergarten, and now the kids were so excited about it, and you know they had been practicing this program over and over and over again. And uh, so finally, the time came 
And uh, all of them came in, accompanied, you know, the classes with the teacher and his son's class came in and uh, to sing the song Christmas Love. And those in the, in the front row, center stage, and they held up large letters to spell out the song title. And uh, as they did so, as, they, as the class would sing C, for example, they'd hold, hold that up, it's for Christmas. And then it'd hold up H, and they would sing, that's for happiness, until they got the completed message up there, which is Christmas love. Well, something went wrong because one of the little girls there, the little girl that was holding the M, uh, got it turned upside down and it was a W. And the people out there were snickering and the other kids that saw what she had done, they were laughing at her and the teacher was shooing the kid trying to get him to quieten down, you know. The little girl, she didn't know what was going on. She just stood there just happy as a lark, nevertheless. But whenever the last letter was finally raised, everyone saw it. And there was a hush that came over that audience that day. And their eyes widened whenever they looked upon the message, which was, Christ was love. Oh, she got it messed up. But boy, they got the message loud and clear. Christ was love. That's what Christmas is all about. Christ was love. God sent His Son to demonstrate the greatness of His love for us. And if you're a child of God, there's no reason for you to think, well, you know, I just, I'm, I'm deprived and I'm discouraged and we don't deserve anything and we've been given the very best that heaven has to offer. Christ, Christ was love. He still is. He always will be. If you never received Him, we want to give you that opportunity here this morning and urge you to put your trust in Him as your Lord and your Savior. If you're here today and maybe maybe you've been saved for many years now, but well, like me, yesterday it might be that, uh, that in some way you failed to practice what you preach. When I say that, I'm not talking about preachers. I'm talking about all of us. You just failed to do what you know God would have you to do. Murmured and complained about how bad the world is and how bad it is for you and we've all got to admit things are bad but boy we have received something that is so good that we ought to be ashamed whenever we ignore what God says when he tells us to be content with such things that you have to rejoice in the Lord when always always that's never out of season and so maybe as a Christian, you just, man, you need to come this morning and spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, I, 
I know that I failed and I know that it's displeased you and I want to make things right before I leave here today. Or maybe, maybe you just want to come and get on your knees and say thank you. Didn't come to ask you for anything, Lord. I just want to thank you for Jesus. Great display of your love for me and for the whole world. Father, I pray this morning that you'll use the greatness of your word, the truth that we've looked upon here this morning to know that you love us with, a, with an everlasting love. And I pray that you'll speak to hearts and I pray that you'll change lives and save those that are lost today. May each one of us submit ourselves to the point that it becomes obvious to you and to everyone that we love God and we love people. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together, would you come this morning and say, yes, I know what God wants and I'm willing to give Him my all.